Welcome, everyone, to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL, what's happening there. We will have our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We will talk about the NBA, what's happening there. We will talk about the WNBA and their playoffs, and we will have our best for last. Now, remember, you can follow the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember to follow the Twitter page, Instagram, and Facebook pages at JTime Sports for your breaking news coverage and when the podcast is going to come out and other pertinent news. Now, remember to sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome in everyone to the show. We're on our 38th consecutive week so far this year. I'm absolutely loving this. Uh, Probably after football season, I'll take a mini break for a couple of weeks, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, Welcome into the show. We're going to cover a lot, as you guys heard in the intro. We're going to have the NFL. What's going down there? We're going to have Jack's Pack, our NFL betting segment. A bit of a down week. Got really close. Caught a couple of bad breaks, but we're going to pick that right up this week. We have the NBA. A lot of drama there. They're nearing training camps. The WNBA started their playoffs last night with a couple of exciting games. And then we're going to have our best for last. As always, we do it every show. But now we're going to jump right into week two of the NFL season. Well, actually, we're going to start with Thursday Night Football last night, the start of week three. Then we're going to jump into week two. So last night, we saw a game that pretty much was billed how it played. Carolina was coming in, one of the top-ranked defenses in the NFL. I believe they were number two overall uh, versus a rookie quarterback making his first start in Davis Mills. Now, uh, before the draft, I spoke a little bit about Davis Mills. I like Davis Mills as a talent. You saw some of that last night. Uh, he has the longest neck on the planet. Um, but we saw a little bit of that last night. Uh, coming out of high school, out of the Atlanta area, I believe, he was the number one overall quarterback in his class. Could have gone anywhere in the country. Had offers from pretty much everywhere in the country. Uh, chose to go to Stanford, which showed a lot about him as a not only person, but a student. You know, a lot of football athletes, when they have the option, they're going to pick your LSUs. They're going to pick your Alabamas. They're going to pick um, USC's, where sometimes the academic standard is a little bit lower for the athlete. Uh, but he chose to go to Stanford, which we, you know, you know by Andrew Luck and what he had to go through at Stanford. He talked about it a lot that, you know, he would see or hear some of the stories about the other athletes going out and hanging out. And he was studying for tests and quizzes because the academic standard at Stanford is higher than it is uh, a lot of places. That's why you get that problem with Notre Dame, Northwestern, UCLA even um, deals with that problem as well. But he chose to go to Stanford um, and was made of glass at Stanford. He had an injury in high school that carried over to his early years of college. He only made 11 starts. Um, Some say he came back this year, had a good year. He may have been a first round draft pick, but he ultimately exited school um, and ended up with the Houston Texans in the third or fourth round. He has talent. The talent's there. He only fell in the draft because he was literally made of glass, it felt like, and was always injured. The talent's there. We showed it last night. And he took some shots last night. That Carolina defense is real. Um, So is Carolina offensive line problems. We'll address that in a minute. 
but Carolina's defense is real. Um, not sure how real they are in terms of point total, but in terms of intensity and the way they fire on people and the way they're always in somebody's face, making contact uh, with lots of hits. Who knows? You know, this, this Carolina defense is real. Now, they get a good test next week in Dallas. As we know, there's one thing Dallas can do. Dallas can score. Um, Carolina suffered a couple key injuries last night. They lost J.C. Horn. We just believe to be a broken foot. Um, not definitely season-ending end, broken foot, but two to three months on his recovery time. So that's late in the season. Um, at best, next season at worst, um, you know, Carolina dovetails and they're not in the playoff contention. Don't risk J.C. Horn kind of thing. Uh, Christian McCaffrey has a hamstring injury, which the severity is currently unknown. Um, so we're waiting on that. McCaffrey was an Ironman early in his career. Now, last year, suffered an injury. Out for the year, pretty much. Now he's dealing with a hamstring injury, trying to work his way back. And what, what makes it kind of almost announcer jinx was a few minutes before that, Troy Aikman said... The Panthers want to reduce McCaffrey's load. McCaffrey's having none of it. That he wants his usual 30 touch, 35 touch a game workload. You know, he touches the ball on about half their possessions, and he wants he half their plays in their uh, in the game. And he wants to use a workload, and then he goes missing. You know, he gets bent over a certain way, goes missing, and then he has a hamstring injury. Ultimately, being in the locker room, ultimately not coming back on the field. Um, so again, the severity of that hamstring is unknown. Um, at this time, but we will definitely update you guys as it comes available. Um, and of course, that'll always, as always, that'll be on Just in Time Sports. I am a Sam Darnold guy. You guys know this. I'm a Sam Darnold guy. I'm Sam Darnold, Kyler Murray, uh, Matt Stafford. I defend a lot of these quarterbacks who I see the talent and I believe the organization is failing them. Um, and I strongly believe Adam Gase and the New York Jets were failing Sam Darnold. And now that he has a pretty decent team, the Carolina Panthers are not great. They have a good offensive mind in Joe Brady, great offensive mind in Joe Brady, a hell of a leader in Matt Rule, who turned around everywhere he's been. He turned around Temple in two to three years. He turned around Baylor in two to three years. This is year two of Carolina, and they already look a lot better than they did last year. Um, you know, he's got a he's got a solid defense, a great running back in Christian McCaffrey, who he may or may not have long, and a couple of good receivers in DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. And Sam Donald looks like a completely different quarterback. To put this in perspective, he had two 300-yard games or two or three 300-yard games his entire Jets career. He has two of them already in his Panthers career. He has a better passer rating than Lamar Jackson. He's over 100 passer rating. His Jets passer rating was in the 60s. I mean, he is a much better quarterback. Just being around an offensive mind uh, who claim the fame isn't coaching Peyton Manning. And he is around a team and an organization that supports and believes in him. And so Sam Donald looks a lot better. I say this about Matt Stafford, too. Matt Stafford talent was always there. Detroit is a cesspool. Now he's no longer in that cesspool. He looks a lot better with Los Angeles. He's winning games. He's putting on performances. Um, you know, look at Kyler Murray. It took a few years for him and Cliff Kingsbury to get the team how they want it. But now they're rolling on people. So it is, it's just organizations matter. And your success levels matter. Now, the more talented you are, the more you can overcome. For instance, Andrew Luck was incredibly talented. He was in two AFC title games with whatever the hell that Indianapolis Colts roster was for those years. He was in two AFC title games. Unfortunately, he paid for with his body, but his talent was able to carry, again, whatever the hell that Colts roster was to two AFC title games. 
Um, I believe Tom Brady is successful anywhere. I do. I believe Tom Brady is a successful quarterback anywhere. He is the GOAT because he landed in New England. You got Bill Belichick, the greatest coach ever. You got an owner who stays out of the way in Robert Kraft but willing to spend money. You got a great loyal fan base. You got a weaker, softer division for most of your career. Now he's in the NFC South and the NFC South is falling apart. But, you know, Brady got breaks, but I think he'd have been successful anywhere. Sam Darnold is not Tom Brady talented. He's not Andrew Luck talented. What he is, he's a very good, talented quarterback and with the right pieces around him can make some noise. They're now 3-0. They've got Dallas next week. That defense is real, and Dallas' defense isn't, isn't that great. It'll confuse you, but it's not that great. There's a good chance Sam Darnold could finish the first month of the season with four wins. I don't think he amounts, I don't think he amassed four wins in a couple of seasons in New York. So, I'm happy for Sam Darnold. I'm a Sam Darnold guy. I enjoyed watching him. He's still frustratingly um, reckless at times, and, and then gunshot the next play. Like, he fired into the between the two high safeties to a tight end the tight end gets murdered and then the next time the safety splits so far out the same tight end runs right up the middle and nobody's within a five yard radius and sam doesn't throw it because the last time he threw it it was almost picked so i think they have to figure out that balance between them but i am happy for him being carolina i'm glad he's out of there i also enjoy watching davis mills uh play a little bit for the houston texans he's gonna be there for a little while because of tyrod's injury which we will discuss a little later but now we're going to jump into the week two recap. So the Los Angeles Rams went up against the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, very, very good game. It was a very interesting game. It, uh, the Rams drew a overwhelmed Chicago team week one. Indianapolis drew a very powerful Seattle team week one, especially early in the season. Seattle's very good. Um, and so I want to see this matchup. And it showed that the Colts were still overmanned. The Rams were a really good football team, probably one through 53, one of the best, if not the best team in the NFL. Uh, they showcased that against the Colts. Now, the Colts were not out of it. They did not capitalize on some red zone opportunities. Uh, a Carson Wentz show pass interception. They had another uh, zero point red zone possession. They had two of those and they lost by less than a possession. So... If you look at it that way, the Colts could very easily be sitting this morning 1-1, one one, except they're 0-2. The Los Angeles Rams uh, are going into the, probably one of the biggest games of the year, 2-0. Uh, Matt Stafford is good in his offense, although not as good as he did in Week 1. I believe the Colts' defense has something to do with that, if not a lot of it. But uh, congratulations to the Rams on getting that victory. Um, apparently, I get to update you guys on this McCaffrey story now. Um, Christian McCaffrey, I just posted it on all three socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at JTime Sports. Christian McCaffrey will expect it to miss a few weeks uh, with his hamstring injury. They are not planning on putting him on IR right now, according to Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. However, he will miss a few weeks. He's expected to right now. Um, not season ending, not season threatening. Uh, just a few weeks. So, Chuba Hubbard uh, will be the guy, the running back out of Oklahoma State will be the guy to step up. Uh, they had another running back play last night as well. Uh, he will also step up to be the number two behind Shuba. But moving on to the Raiders and the Steelers, a very interesting game. So the Raiders usually start off pretty well. They started off 2-0 last season. But this 2-0 feels a little different than the last 2-0. And here's why. The last 2-0 from the Las Vegas Raiders, they... Did not have a pass rush unless they blitz. They pretty much were kind of winning miracle wise. 
um, and it just it didn't feel right. This two and zero feels totally different. They in Henry Ruggs looking like a deep threat now. They have a pass rush with just four players. Um, they're causing havoc. John Gruden has got a lot of swagger right now. The fans are excited. Um, you can see on message boards and stuff how happy they are and how they're believing in this team. How Vegas is getting behind this Raider team. Um, and they're doing it how John Gruden wants to do it. Derek Carr is being unworldly efficient, uh, which is what something that John Gruden wanted him to be. You're getting defensive pressure with four people. So now a weaker secondary isn't on an island by itself trying to defend all these guys one-on-one because now they have help with linebackers and safeties. You've got a hard-hitting defense, Najee Harris, stiff arm, notwithstanding Jonathan Abrams. Uh, You've got a team that is playing really hard, really well for John Gruden. And this Raiders team, by many, was projected to be the fourth team in that division. There's a very good chance coming out of Sunday that the Kansas City Chiefs are the fourth team in that division. You know, due to game, we'll talk about uh, a little later. But the Raiders are looking good right now. I Gone are the days where everybody wanted to see Spider-2 Wild Banana from John Gruden, even though a couple of times I think he could use it. He doesn't. Um, and now you're getting a system where the quarterback is comfortable. It's Derek Carr's fourth year in this system. You're getting guys now. The offensive line is playing better. They mixed and matched it and patchworked it. It's looking better. Like I said, the pass rush is very exciting if you're a Raiders fan. Um, if you're a Steelers fan, your team for the end of last year that I said you probably could be your team is your team from this year. Najee Harris is a good running back. Some may even venture on to great talent-wise. The offensive line is horrible. That is your problem. Big Ben is old and done. He's cooked. Start Dwayne Haskins. I don't know. Figure something out. Um, your defense did not generate much of a pass rush at all. It's very TJ Watt dependent. Uh, and Derek Carr was very comfortable. And he showed it several times. He had a coverage bust on the Henry Ruggs touchdown. Pittsburgh in a bad spot. And I said before the season, you were going to be the odd team out. I said three teams are going to make it from the AFC North. And I said Pittsburgh is going to be the odd team out. I said it. I said it. I'm going to say it again. Three teams are going to make the playoffs from the AFC North. I'm really counting on the Bengals here. And Pittsburgh will be the odd team out. I don't think Pittsburgh is going to make the playoffs either way. They actually played the Bengals this Sunday. Um, I don't think the Pittsburgh still is going to make the playoffs either way. But I think if three teams from the North make it, Pittsburgh will indeed be the odd man out. Um, I just don't see it this year. Organizationally, they put themselves in a bind, and it's showing. Uh, We're going to talk about them a little later, though, when we address their next week game in week three. The Arizona Cardinals had, I think, the craziest game of the weekend um, with them and the Minnesota Vikings. That game was back and forth. Um, I watched pretty much every Cardinal game now because of Kyler Murray. That game was back and forth. It was exciting. Um, It was penalties in the worst of spots for certain teams. It was turnovers. Uh, You had a pick six. You had a miss 20-something yard field goal, 30-something yard field goal to win the game. It was insane. And it comes down to Kyler Murray making a play. Fourth down, retreating, flipping a perfect moon ball to uh, Christian Kirk, and then scoring a couple plays later. And then you get Minnesota driving down the field. And the only reason they're in this spot is because the kicker misses an extra point. He gets a kick shorter than an extra point to win the game, and he misses that one as well. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, Arizona starting to feel like a team of destiny. They blow out Tennessee. And then they turn right around and escape with the skin of their teeth 
um, against the Minnesota Vikings, they're starting to feel like one of those teams. And there's one every year um, where they can almost, they got like a rabbit's foot in their pocket where it's like things just go well. Um, regardless of what's happening around them, things just go well. And that's what Arizona is starting to feel like this season. I'm excited. I like Kyler, like I spoke about earlier. But it's just feel like that Cardinals team, that lucky rabbit's foot. Now, they didn't pick, I picked them to make the playoffs last year. I might have been a year early for all th- for all four NFC West teams to get in the playoffs. But that's the way it's looking like right now. Is that all four of them are getting to the playoffs. And my Vikings pick of the team is going to double their wins and get in. It's starting to look a little bit difficult. Uh, hopefully the Vikings turn that around. The game that was a little underwhelming and had some controversy was Cowboys and Chargers. That game, I anticipated two really good offenses attacking two not so great defenses. Um, the Chargers has the names on defense. They just don't put it together on the field. I mean, they've got a Bosa. They've got Derwin James. They've got Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma. Um, you know, they have guys, they have a gritty good secondary. They have guys with name recognition and even not so recent, not so distant past of being good to great players. It's just not coming together on the field for the most part. It came together yesterday, but then the offense, I think not yesterday, last week, but then the offense lagged. Um, so that's a whole separate issue. Dallas doesn't have the world's greatest defense. They were actually without their first or second best defensive player, Demarcus Lawrence. And the Chargers managed to score 17 points. Now, now, there was a red zone interception on a Keenan Allen slip. That's points. There was um, other points they left on the board as well. Um, they were taken out of field goal range by that terrible in-the-grasp call on Justin Herbert. So there was, you know, a couple of possessions where the Chargers probably had more points in their back pocket and they let go or were forced to give up. But this Cowboy defense led by Dan Quinn, um, the architect of the famed Legion of Boom cover three. Uh, he's brought a simplistic style defense to the Dallas Cowboys, and they're really playing it well. Um, much better than we thought. Um, you know, they, they showed up in Tampa and did all they could against Tom Brady. Then they went to the Chargers against the, one of the futures of the league and Justin Herbert, and held him to 17 points at home. So, huge for uh, the Cowboys defense. That's for the Chargers defense. You held that high-flying Cowboys offense to 17 points with 10 seconds left in the game. Um, and they didn't really leave a lot of points on the field. It's not like Los Angeles left some points on the field. Dallas got everything they could pretty much out of the game. And still, with um, 10 seconds left, the Cowboys had 17 points. So the Chargers defense is real. The offense I have no problems about. I expect the Chargers to be in the playoffs. I do not expect Dallas to make it. But um, definitely a great, and I do mean great, game. Um, like I said, a little underscoring compared to what people thought it was going to be, myself included. Um, but good game nonetheless. Now we're going to move on to that other game I referenced, Titans-Seahawks. Another game that tail of two halves. Seahawks had them. I'm thinking, oh, Seahawks about to win this game. Not necessarily run away with it, but win this game. Have a great uh, time. You know, they're going to be 2-0. The whole NFC West will be undefeated. The Titans will go to 0-2. And I'm thinking in terms of my Wentz fandom, help out Carson Wentz and them because they're also 0-2. Derrick Henry had another slow half. He had six slow quarters. And then in the second half, uh, recording to Peter King and a couple others, Derrick Henry, not usually like this, 
very, very vocal on the sideline, very trying to get the guys together, but so we can't lose this game, etc. And the King went off in the second half. He had uh, 70% of his yards in the second half in overtime. Uh, all three of his touchdowns came in the second half in overtime. He went insane uh, showcasing. He was the best running back in football. Seattle had no answers. Um, and the Titans ultimately come back and win that game. I didn't really watch watch this game. I, I will admit that to you. Um, you know, I, I, I closely watched seven games this weekend, popped in on others, but I popped in on the second half and overtime of this one. And it's just, man, Seattle, that offense is real. Um, huge. So Pete Carroll, let them do what they do. I know he has college coach tendencies at times, but just let them do whatever they do. Um, man, that offense is looking great with Shane Cauldron. I believe is his name is the OC. Uh, Waldron, one of the two, I believe is the OC. And then uh, Russell Wilson being Russell Wilson. Tyler Lockett being Tyler Lockett. DK Metcalf is slow right now, but I'm sure they're going to get him in towards the end of the season. Um, so, Pete, let those guys do what they do. But you got to get that defense shirt up. Although, 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 in the spirit of honesty, there's nothing you can do with Derrick Henry's going that like that. You just throw your hands up. I mean, it's like Miles Garrett with a football under his arm. It's, it's insanity. Um, if you would have made that running back five years ago in Madden, all your friends would say you were cheating. And Derrick Henry's a real person. So at a certain point, you just kind of let that go. Um, you know, you, you you do your best, you hit him, but it's it's Derrick Henry. He's ridiculous. So um, kudos to the Titans for currently leading their division at one and one. Um, kudos to them. And then the big game, the huge game, the game everybody wanted to care about: Baltimore Ravens versus Kansas City Chiefs. Mahomes, Lamar for. Uh, currently, Mahomes had a 3-0 advantage, and going into that game, I picked the I picked the Chiefs. I looked at the Ravens situation. I said they may have a lot of secondary injuries, and I'm not sure with Kansas City knowing Baltimore has to run the ball. Um, and I saw you know the limited match points, and I saw and I tried to almost talk myself into taking Baltimore in the points, which I would have. Um, but I had the Chiefs, and I had the Chiefs by about 10. Early in that game, I was looking right. Early in that contest, I was looking real nice. Um, and then a touchdown from Lamar and a turnover by Mahomes and another touchdown, and it evaporated quickly. Um, Lamar Jackson started off the game horribly, throwing a pick six. Then he, he overshot Hollywood Brown on, on the throw. That would have been an easy touchdown. And then he throws a pick six time Matthew. It's like, holy crap. Then not too long after that, he throws another pick to time Matthew. Almost threw time Matthew a third. Um, it was it was a series of oh there we go, and then Lamar was Lamar, man I I I don't think Lamar is the world's greatest passer. No one's gonna mistake Lamar Jackson for Tom Brady. You know it's kind of like no one's gonna mistake him for Patrick Mahomes. We get that. We get that. No one's gonna mistake him for you know Peyton Manning kind of throwing the ball. But no one's going to mistake any of those guys for Lamar Jackson in terms of playmaking. What he can do is insane. Um, I don't know how long it lasts. He hurt his hip flipping into the end zone. Like, I I don't know how long it lasts. If I'm an organization, I don't know how I'm going to structure his contract extension that he's going to get. Even though he's negotiating himself, that's neither here nor there. Um, I don't know how long it's going to last from an organization. But I know for a fact that 
I can look around the NFL. No one runs like him. No one combines his arm and his feet like him besides Kyler and Russell Wilson. Lamar Jackson threw a jump pass about 30 yards with his body the entire wrong direction. His his shoulders and his hips were facing the sideline. He flung his shoulders back to even get the ball to Hollywood Brown. The fact that he even saw Hollywood Brown down there is insane enough to begin with. Um, fourth and one, he tells his coach he wants to go for it and straight up runs a QB power, basically. It's just a QB sweep. It's insane. Like, no one can do that. Again, if I'm the organization, I don't know how I pay him. I don't know how it's structured. If I'm the organization, will I be like, is this going to last 10 more years? I have no idea. But I know right now he's one of the easy 10 best quarterbacks in the world. If he made an argument for top five, I wouldn't stop you. Lamar Jackson can do with the football is insane. Now, I have a fairly controversial opinion. I believe Kyler Murray is a better player than he is. Why? Their feet are close and Kyler Murray's arm is much better. I feel like that's undeniable. Um, But, I mean, people tend to disagree. A lot of people harp on Lamar has the MVP. Okay, I give you that. But I would say Kyler Murray's better. I say flip them, and Kyler Murray's got Baltimore in a much better spot because he can throw the ball down the field. Hollywood Brown would be much more useful. Sammy Watkins would be much more useful. Kyler still hits tight ends. Kyler still runs around. So as I'm saying, you could swap their positions, and I think that Kyler would be in a much better spot. Uh, I think Kyler's a better player. But Lamar Jackson's insane. Kyler's insane. But Lamar's ridiculous. Uh, Watching that, it was a show. It was a showdown. Him versus the Mahomes did not disappoint. So glad I got to watch it. You know, it's one of those things where you'll look back and in 20 years, you're telling your kid about how you watch Lamar Jackson beat Patrick Mahomes for the first time. So um, it was a tremendous show. Kudos to both of those guys. Mahomes played well. He tried to throw. He shouldn't have tried. I mean, it's Patrick Mahomes. He does win every game. You know, ultimately, which I think ultimately led to the decision going um, Baltimore's way. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire got stripped. Um, on the biggest play of the game and effectively lost Kansas City the game. So that was something that I'm sure he's going to have to get corrected. And I'm sure they talked about him a lot. He beat himself up a lot because he's not a fumbler. Small player, but he doesn't fumble. Uh, so I'm sure they beat him up. I'm sure he beat himself up a lot about that. Um, but hell of a game. Both teams are moving on to fairly big games this week. Or rather, the Chiefs are moving on to the Chargers. Fairly big game. And the Ravens are moving on to Detroit, which could be a letdown trap game. We'll talk about that a little later. Um... But yeah, so that wraps up our week two coverage. Now I just touch on some news that's been going down. Uh, Carson Wentz, as we know, has sprained both of his ankles. Um, I can report to you, uh, per me and Adam Schefter, that he is back at practice today. He missed the last two days of practice. He wants to play Sunday. Uh, They have the Tennessee Titans Sunday in a huge game. He wants to play Sunday. Winner of that game will be leading the division. So it's a huge game. Um... And he wants to go at it. He said he went to the kitchen sink at it. He said he's been listening to the doctors and his body, which he won't take the COVID vaccine, which has been recommended by doctors. But hey, whatever, whatever. He wanted the back. Hey, whatever. It's his personal decision. I'm just saying he kind of picky on his doctors. I bet. You know, no COVID doctor, no COVID vaccine because you don't trust it, basically, or whatever your personal reasons are. You had a sprained ankle, you're fine with whatever. Whatever, it's not important. He wants to play Sunday. Uh, he wants to give it a go. And so um, he's definitely going to try and play. 
Uh, Tua Tagovailoa, the Miami Dolphins, is going to be out a few weeks with a fractured rib. He's, he won't play this week. He probably won't play next week. Uh, Jacoby Brissett will be the guy in the meantime for Miami. Uh, and they play the Raiders on Sunday. So uh, Jacoby Brissett will be the guy for Miami. Uh, Tyrod Taylor is out. Uh, he's on IR now uh, thanks to an injury, which I cannot think of what it is right now. I believe it is an ankle. It's a lower leg injury. I know that for a fact. But he's out a few weeks while Davis Mills started last night. He's on injury reserve. Davis Mills will be the starter in the meantime. They, they want to see what they have in him. To see if they have to evaluate picks in the draft, etc., etc., etc. Oh, breaking news. Odell Beckham will officially make his return. Um, this is per Jeremy Fowler of ESPN, along with Drake Trowder. Um... Kevin Stefanski has just announced that Odell Beckham will make his debut this season. Um, so Odell is back. Conveniently, it's just about to talk about the next guy. Jarvis Landry is out. Um, he's going to be out for a little while dealing with a leg injury himself. Uh, so perfect timing for Odell Beckham to return. So huge news for the Browns getting Odell Beckham back. Big, big news for them. Huge news for them. Um, Tom Brady's a circle, I guess you would say. I mean, would be has been talking a lot about the Patriots. Um, it's odd they don't play the Patriots, they play the Rams, which very well could lose that game. And you're talking about the Patriots. His father was on Tom Curran's show in Boston saying that, um, basically Bill Belichick just wasn't a good fit for Brady anymore and talking down on the Patriots. And then his longtime trainer and friend and and confident Alex Guerrero, the co-founder of TB12, I believe, uh, was saying that Belichick didn't evolve with Brady. He was talking to a man in his 40s like he was talking to the guy in his 20s. Um, so you saw, I mean, just Brady's camp being very vocal to the point where they even asked Tom Brady about his week. He did what Brady does. He deflected it a little bit, calmed it down, quieted it a little bit. But this is the other side of that freedom that Brady has been enjoying in Tampa is that his family and friends also have that freedom now. It used to be, you know, he didn't say anything. None, none, none of Brady's friends say anything. It was uh, breaking news when Alex Grove would talk about anything related to the Patriots. Um, and now that that they're even out of the Belichick or they're out of the Patriot way, that they are a little more open. Alex Grove and Tom Sr. said these quotes back to back. I mean, within a day of each other, both of these quotes came out and it's pretty big news when the family starts talking because if they're looking at that Bucks, if they're looking at that Patriots game, it means Brady at least has a half an eye on knowing that in eight days or nine days rather, he returns to Foxborough with the very good chance of breaking Drew Brees' all-time passing yards record on the very field he made most of his name on. So, a uh, huge, huge just all-around situation between the Brady family and Coach Belichick. Uh, J- Justin Fields will era will begin thanks to an injury to Andy Dalton. So Justin Fields will start uh, this Sunday versus the Cleveland Browns. Um, uh, Nick Foles will be his backup, but the Justin Fields era is underway. And of course, Matt Nagy has stuck to the script that when Andy Dalton's healthy, he is a starter. I believe that is the perfect cover. Because if Justin Fields goes out there and bombs, you can say, I told you guys Fields wasn't ready. And I told you guys that Andy Dalton's our starter. But if Justin Fields plays great, you can just say, hey, I didn't see this kid playing that well or correction or we didn't think he'd play this well this soon. 
he's way ahead of schedule. We want to thank Andy Dalton for what he's done for us. We hope to keep him on the roster, but Justin Fields, I started going forward. It's a perfect cover. You win-win. Either Fields is great and your future starts now, or Fields bombs and doesn't, or doesn't play that well, and Dalton comes back on the field like you said you were going to. It's a win-win for Matt Nagy. Kudos to him. I don't think he's handled the situation great, but that was a great slick way of covering your tracks. So good job to Matt Nagy. And lastly, Big Ben has a left pectoral injury. He is very questionable for this Sunday. Um, they play the Cincinnati Bengals, but he is very questionable to play this Sunday. If he cannot go, no word on who will play. Um, at least we know in Indy, they may split it between uh, Jacob Eason and um, the practice squad quarterback, whose name escapes me right now, and I'm going to think about it later. Um, but we don't know who's going to play in Big Ben. We don't know if it's going to be Mason Rudolph. We don't know if it's going to be Dwayne Haskins. Uh, we're not sure, but apparently he injured it during the game and played through it. We're going to see if he decides to play Sunday versus Cincinnati or can play Sunday versus Cincinnati or whether he um, is out. But up next, we're going to shift to week three and talk about what's going down there. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about week three, going to talk about a few games, and then of course we'll have Jack's Pack after our next break, which is our NFL betting segment, and the first game we're going to talk about is the Sunday night contest between the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. Now this game is huge for both teams. The 49ers really haven't played anybody so far this season, so we don't know how good they are, right? And we, and we, we believe the 49ers are a good team, but we don't know. As for Green Bay, we strongly believe Green Bay is a good team, but we don't know. Yeah, they wet the bed against the Saints, get absolutely annihilated 38-3. And then the second game, they're behind at halftime to the Detroit Lions at home. Now, they have played a great second half, shut the Lions out, but they should have beat the Lions that badly all game, and they struggled in the first half. So we think we know what Green Bay is. We're pretty sure we know what Green Bay is. We just don't know officially what the Green Bay Packers are. As for the San Francisco 49ers, we think we know when healthy who they are, but we don't know. So if this game is a blowout either way, it kind of devalidates or unvalidates rather the validity of one of these teams in terms of being a real contender. If Green Bay goes into San Francisco and beats them 35 to 10, well, that pretty much tells you what you need to know about San Francisco. Conversely, if the 49ers boat race Green Bay and it's, you know, 31-7, 31-10, something similar to that, then you know Green Bay is more of week one than week two. Um, and so it is very interesting for this game. Um, Green Bay could end up looking up and be tied in the division. If they lose to San Francisco and Minnesota goes and wins their game, they could look up tied for the division lead. Or, uh, you know, so it is, or they do own a cut the tiebreakers, but... You know what I'm saying? They'd be one and two along with the other team in the division, the Minnesota Vikings. So it's a huge game. You look at uh, Matt LaFleur, one of the great young minds on offense. Guess what he's going against? A great young mind on offense in Kyle Shanahan. Um, You've got Jimmy Garoppolo versus Aaron Rodgers. You know, you've got Robert Tanyan versus George Kittle. 
of the pa the Packers are at a little disadvantage. A, they're on the road. B, they don't have Darius Smith to really, really bother Jimmy Garoppolo. So we're going to see how much that affects because Jerry Goff looked mighty comfortable in the first half. They switched some things up in the second half, started to bring a little pressure. But Jerry Goff comfortable, shredded the Packers defense in the first half. So we're definitely going to have to take a look at that. We're going to have to keep our eye on how these two quarterbacks handle uh, this situation. You know, Trey Lance is in the mix, so three quarterbacks. Um, you got two. Their teams are, now that I think about it, rather similar in terms of both have offensive lines that should be better. Both have defenses that should be better. You look at um, both struggle with the Detroit Lions. The 49ers almost got come back on by the Lions. The Packers had a rough half with them. Um, and then you look at their quarterback situation. Both are on the way out the door with young guys looking over their shoulder. Uh, Trey Lance is one year younger, or one season younger, being a rookie than the guy in second year, Jordan Love. So both of these guys have quarterbacks looking over their shoulder, waiting on their opportunity. You know, two young offensive minds, both are known at this point for not being the greatest in situationally. Kyle Shanahan has been credited for blowing two Super Bowls, um, the Atlanta Super Bowl up 28-3, and the uh, 49er Super Bowl up on Mahomes with, by, I think, 10 in the fourth quarter. And then you've got the famous or infamous, depending on your point of view, field goal attempt instead of going for it on fourth down last year in the NFC Championship game by Matt LaFleur. So... These teams are very interesting and quite similar. Now you would think about it, uh, 49ers have owned Green Bay the last couple of times they played. 49ers has been flat out more physical than them. It seems like when a running back goes down, they copy, they print two more. So um, maybe 49ers are unaffected. Uh, I do not have this game in Jack's pack, so I'm going to pick it. And I'm going to pick the San Francisco 49ers. Um, I'm going to pick them by about six or seven. I just think they would be too physical for the Packers, and the Packers won't have enough beef up front to really contend with this run game. And so I'm going to go with the 49ers to win this game, like I said, by about six or seven points. I don't see it being one of those blowouts for the NHL Championship games. I see this game being rather close. Now, another game I do not have in my Jacks pack, so I will pick a winner, is the Colts versus the Titans. Um, I spoke about it a little bit earlier. Huge game for the division. Winner of this game wakes up Monday morning in first place um, because the Colts will have one win just like Tennessee, but Tennessee's one win will be in conference. Colts will be in a division. Uh, Houston's one win will be out of, will be in division as well. So actually it will be Houston and the Colts would be tied at first because Houston's one and two with a division win. Colts will be one and two with a division win. Uh, Tennessee will be one and two with a division loss and Jacksonville, will, in my opinion, will probably still be winless. So... The Colts and the Texans will wake up top first, but the winner of this game will be in first. So if Tennessee wins, they will be the only team in the division with two wins, and they will be in first place. So a huge game. Um, this game, in my opinion, comes down to the health of Carson Wentz, which is why it's not in my Jacks pack. Um, Carson Wentz plays. I got Colts by about four. Carson Wentz doesn't play. I got the Titans by about ten. Um, you're probably thinking, man, 14 points, that's unrealistic. But... I'm looking at the amount of points that they can score. So I figure if Carson Wentz plays, this game has 24-20 written all over it, or 27-24 written all over it. Um, if Carson Wentz does not play, this has 30-20 to written all over it, or 30-17 written all over it, just because of Carson Wentz's ability with a starting quarterback to manage the game, control the clock, control the tempo, and to not allow a um, Tennessee Titans team to just run wild. 
Uh, you saw they were able to run wild on Seattle in the second half, won the game. Arizona conscientiously focused on Derrick Henry all night. They didn't do much. So if I am the Indianapolis Colts defense, especially that front seven led by DeForest Buckner and Darius Leonard, I am focusing on Derrick Henry all night. If Ryan Tannehill beats us, he beats us. Now they do have Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. I get that, but Derrick Henry can win you a game. Ryan Tannehill hasn't been proven with those guys to win you one yet. I'm going to make uh, Julio Jones and A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill beat us. Again, Wentz plays Colts by four. Wentz doesn't play Titans by 10. I wouldn't touch this betting line with a 10-foot pole because what if Wentz plays for a quarter and it, both ankles tighten up and he's out? So I wouldn't touch it um, betting-wise, but I'm going to pick the Colts to win the game. They need it. They need it equally, but I'd say the Colts need a little bit more to gain some confidence with the fan base in Carson Wentz and in this regime. So I'm going to go with the Colts here to win the game. Kansas City Chiefs versus the Los Angeles Chargers. Again, another game not in my Jacks pack, so I will pick a winner. The Kansas City Chiefs just did something that has never happened in their entire Mahomes era. Lost in December. Not only did they lose in December, Mahomes threw his first ever September interception. So this was a game of flat out first in negative ways for the Kansas City Chiefs. Conversely, on the Los Angeles Chargers side, they held somebody to 20 points and lost. I mean, one of the Chargers that have done that in the Justin Herbert era, they've always been a high scoring team. They've always been a team ready and willing to put up points with anybody because they have Herbert. So this is a game where both sides are kind of reeling. Um, Chargers losing a little bit of their identity. The Chiefs reeling for the, I mean, not being 4-0 or undefeated in September for the first time in Mahomes' career. We're going to see how that affects them. It's a Charger home game, I do believe. Um, again, not my Jack's pack. I don't know who's going to win this game. Uh, Chargers win. They wake up in first place. Um, in my opinion, Chiefs win. Um, Chargers are in a bad spot. And the Chiefs wake up in first place. I'm not sure if Denver holds their undefeated streak. Although I can't remember off the top of my head who they're playing. But this is a huge game for them because it's one game into the tiebreaker between the two. And I believe these two will fight for the division crown. So any direct tiebreakers you can have over somebody else fighting for the division crown is the way to go. Um, picking this winner, I'm going to pick the Chiefs. I'm going to go Chiefs here. Not by a lot. Um, going to say a touchdown. Due to the fact that they're going to want to win this game desperately to try and reinstill confidence in themselves. Back-to-back -back losses has never happened in the Mahomes era. And so I would be shocked if it starts to happen now. Especially after a game they believe they should have won in Baltimore. If they turn around and lose to the Chargers, it could be mentally devastating. As for the Chargers, as long as their offense plays well, they can live with getting outgunned um, by Mahomes. It happens to everybody. Uh, and so I think that this game is a big game for Justin Herbert in terms of his confidence and his instilling that confidence into the rest of his team. But I'm going to go Chargers, uh, Chiefs rather, by about a touchdown. Now we're going to take a look at the Cincinnati Bengals and Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, this game is in Jack's pack, so we're not going to spend a too much time on it. But um, this game, in my opinion, comes down to Big Ben's health. Um, in terms of how bad it gets, I believe Cincinnati wins. Now, I believe Cincinnati would have won last week if it wasn't for Joe Burrow's three interceptions and kind of screwing up my Jack's pack, not going to lie. But I believe that those interceptions will not be there this week. And so... Um, and then the Steelers have a situation with Big Ben. Who knows how his health is going to be? 
but maybe they forced him to run the ball a little more with Dwayne Haskins or Mason Rudolph behind center. Uh, Cincinnati obviously is running the ball with Joe Mixon. They have Jamar Chase catching a touchdown in the game so far. And we're going to definitely see, um, we're going to pick a winner a little later in Jack's pack. And then the big game of the week uh, is Buccaneers-Rams. It's the second window. It's Fox game of the week. It is the big game of the week. Like I said, it's Buccaneers and Rams in SoFi Stadium, home of the Super Bowl. It is the last NFL city Tom Brady has never played in. He faces that this weekend. Um, I expect a shootout. Tampa Bay's defense is not there where it used to be. And Green and sorry, Los Angeles Rams' defense has holes. And so I expect the uh, Buccaneers rather to find those holes and to exploit them. But like I said, the Buccaneers defense is injured in the back, which is already their weakness, and they have not jailed up front like the way we thought they would uh, or would continue to jail following their Super Bowl victory and bringing everyone back. But unfortunately, they have not done that yet. Unfortunately for the Buccaneers' sake, and the Rams are clicking. Uh, this game is not my Jacks packs. I will pick it. I will pick the Rams by three. It would not shock me if Buccaneers by 10, but I will pick the Rams by three. I think Sean McVay is going to outduel Ty Boyles. And um, I believe that the Rams will score just enough on a last possession to win the game. But up next, we're going to shift to our NFL betting segment, which is called Jack's Pack. guys and welcome back into the show and now we're gonna jump into our nfl betting segment uh called jack's pack where all odds are provided by the espn app in which case we'll pick five games a week uh for all 17 weeks then we'll have our playoffs we pick every game in the playoffs um but we will have this we will have a running total and so last year we finished a little under 50 percent it was a bad year for a lot of people covid threw a lot of people off um and we're going to try to have a winning record this year. I strongly believe we can be above 60%. To be a professional gambler, you need to be around 60-61% uh, is the target number. To be a pro gambler, you win more than you lose, basically. Um, and we're going to try to get that this season. Uh, I'm, in Louis- I'm in Louisiana where betting is not legal just yet. Uh, Caesar Sportsbook has advertised it a few times. LSU has joined a partnership with Caesars as well. So it's coming. It's a matter of when, not if. I mean, it's legal. They just haven't figured out how to do the tax and stuff like that. I don't know the legal jargon. But they are um, very close to getting that here. But for my listeners outside Louisiana in legal betting states, these, again, all eyes provided by ESPN app. Uh, last week, we went one in four barely. We had a couple of barelys. Um, we got hooked with the Bears. So the point spread was two and a half. We lost it by a point because I went with the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Kansas City, flat out lost the game. Arizona uh, lost it by a couple of points as well. So we were very close on a few games um, and ultimately were defeated. We ultimately lost. But we did our best last week. And, hey, we're going to attack it again this week, okay? Just because we have a, a down week, a mini down week, rather. We're going to continue to attack it and continue to do this, okay? We're 4-6 and six on the year, so we're sitting at 40%. A little bit a little bit lower than last year even so we're gonna get that up we're gonna get that cranking this week uh i wasn't in love with the numbers this week admittedly so um this may even be in the week i go four and one but i was not in love with the numbers this week but we're gonna attack it anyway 
first game we have, we have the Ravens minus eight and a half versus Detroit. I'm going to go with the Ravens here. The reason I'm going to go with the Ravens here is, yes, Dan Campbell's defense is physical, but they're also very, very aggressive. And that Baltimore Ravens uh, offense is pounding. It's physical. It hits you in the mouth. But it also does one thing. It sends you in a bunch of different directions. So if the team overflows one way, guess who has a wide open running lane? Lamar Jackson. And so I trust Lamar Jackson to be in control of this offense. I'm going to go with the Ravens. Swallow the 8.5. I know you guys never hear me talk about a number this big. Swallow the 8.5 points. I'm going to go with the Baltimore Ravens here, uh, even on the road in Detroit. The only thing I worry about that is an emotional letdown following the Chiefs, but I'm going to go with Baltimore there. New England Patriots, minus three at home versus the New Orleans Saints. Take the Patriots. Only three? I'm a Patriots fan. Let me be a little skewed here, but only three? I would, so you're telling me on the neutral field, these teams are even? Have you watched these two teams play? Yeah, the Saints had a great week one, but then they got boat raced basically by the Carolina Panthers. Jameis Winston threw two interceptions. The Patriots just caught four interceptions off Zach Wilson. I don't see how these two teams are on a neutral field either. I, I Yes, yeah, swallow the three here. Take the Patriots. I believe they're going to confuse Jameis Winston, force him to a couple of more turnovers. I strongly believe the Patriots might win this game by a touchdown or more. This is my easiest pick of the week. Uh, go with the Patriots here, minus three. Swallow the points. Up next, we have the Cincinnati Bengals versus the Pittsburgh Steelers. Cincinnati plus three, take Cincinnati. I believe they're going to win the game outright. Even if Ben plays, he hadn't practiced all week, and we know he's not 100%. Um, he already said he could affect his throwing, affect his motion. Joe, Joe Burrow, not known for having back-to-back -back bad games, just threw three picks last week. The Pittsburgh Steelers did not get any pressure on Derek Carr, hardly at all. It was the fourth quarter, and his jersey was white. I believe the Bengals will also keep Joe Burrow upright, although this is a big test for that offensive line. And I'm going to go with the Bengals here. They let me down last week, although I would have won if Burrow wouldn't have played uncharacteristically loose with the ball. I'm going to trust him again this week. I'm going to go with the Cincinnati Bengals here to win this game all right and to be 2-1 and one on top of the division. The Arizona Cardinals are minus 7.5 versus Jacksonville. Take the Cardinals, swallow the 7.5. Look, I was in position to take whatever the line was. It could have said 13.5, and, and I was probably going to hit the Cardinals here. This game will not be close. Trevor Lawrence is going to throw that secondary a couple of interceptions. He's going to be under duress from J.J. Watt and Chandler Jones. Look, Chandler Jones had five sacks in week one on Taylor Lewan. He didn't get any last week against the Vikings. I'm sure he's licking his chops to get after that Jacksonville not-so-great offensive line. Then you have J.J. Uh, Watt playing another AFC South opponent. He's been running through those this year. Um, he had a pretty good game against the first AFC South opponent with the Titans. He gets another one in the Jaguars. So... I think they're going to have a great day feasting. The scheme is still odd in Jacksonville. I don't know how they stop Kyler Murray on defense. That game is going to get ugly fast. Uh, I'm going to watch it because I want to see Trevor Lawrence, and I like Kyler Murray, of course. So I'm going to go with uh, Arizona here. Swallow the 7.5. This was a pretty easy one as well. And then number five, the fifth of the Jacks pack is Dolphins versus Raiders. Raiders minus four. Take the Raiders. Look, two is not playing. And then team already gets a pass rush. We just saw Miami with Jacoby Brissett last week surrender a pass rush to a Buffalo team that's not really great pass rush. And they suffered a couple of sacks to them with how Tua got hurt and Brissett took a couple of shots. Now you bring in a, a Raiders defense. They're back at home in the Death Star in Vegas. And now you're going to bring them in with a pass rush. They can actually pass rush this year. And they're playing a Dolphins offensive line that clearly isn't the greatest. 
I'm going to take the Vegas Raiders here. Swallow the four. They're going to win this game by touchdown or more. So just to recap it, Raiders minus eight and a half over Detroit. Patriots minus three over the Saints. Bengals plus three over the Steelers. Cardinals minus seven and a half over Jacksonville. Vegas minus four over the Raiders. Look, I didn't love the numbers at first, but the more I examine them, the more I like them. So let's roll with it, America, and all over the world. Uh, let's roll with them. These are great numbers. Uh, looking at them again, I didn't love them at first, but then you look down, you start to hear injury news, et cetera. Lock these numbers in if you can get them. They're not going to get any better than this. Um, so this is the five I'm rolling with this week. Let's get Jack's Pack winning week. We had we went one and four last week after a three and two start. Let's get a four and one, five and a week and get this thing rolling. But up next, we're going to talk about the NBA and what's going down there. Welcome back into the show and welcome back NBA. They never seem to um, disappear for long. The National Basketball Association it never goes away for too long. Uh, thanks to COVID, the schedules got shifted. So we're getting really, really short off season. That's why we're nearing the um, MLB playoffs. NFL's in full swing. NBA training camps next week. Uh, the WNBA, which we'll talk about in our next segment, is in the, started their playoffs last night because of COVID shifted the Olympics back a year, which in turn pushed the Olympic break back a year. So we've got all this uh, spinning around the same time. And because of which the NBA is right around the corner, the NBA is back. And we're gonna start off with a quick thank you and a shout out to JJ Reddick, who after 15 years in the NBA, decided to announce his retirement uh, on his podcast. Uh, he announced it, uh, the clip's about five, and five, six minutes basically of his retirement. Um, great career. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I don't. Um, it, although I wouldn't be upset if, if JJ Reddick ended up in the basketball and Eastman Basketball Hall of Fame. I wouldn't be mad because his career at Duke and his career in the NBA, it, I wouldn't be upset. But I don't. I wouldn't put him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, great player though, all-time shooter. I'll never forget the NCAA tournament run. No, uh, I never forget when he's uh, forty points in 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 Cameron Indoor, missing like three or four shots on a bad shoulder. Um. Is it insane? He was the last. He was the first Duke superstar to not be hated. Um, and remember, everybody in the country hates Duke. And then you add in like Christian Layton didn't make it any better. Um, you know, nobody, everybody hated Grayson Allen. You know, Zion Williamson and JJ Redick were the first Duke superstars to not be hated. Um. You know, Duke had that perception of, oh, man, there's the not only was it a predominantly affluent school, you know, that was I was there. They were predominantly affluent school. Um, that was the perception they had. You know, you know, you saw even like the the black players, um, not to make it a race thing necessarily, but it, it factored in. It was the great white hope for Christian Leitner and the black players on the team were rich, you know. Um, so or proceeded like Grant Hill had money from where he came from. And so, you know, it was something that persisted throughout Duke's history. And J.J. Reddick kind of turned that tide. He was the first Duke player to not be hated. Uh, Zion Williamson joined that list later. But Jason Tatum wasn't hated necessarily. Well, he wasn't really a superstar at Duke. Kyrie Irving wasn't hated. But he didn't play very much. But J.J. Reddick was the first main Duke player who was the face of Duke 
uh, to not be hated, to not to really shed that kind of Duke mold. Then he comes to the NBA, has a great career with the Clippers, spent a down couple of years with the Pelicans, um, spends his career with the Mavericks. Uh, he had other Orlando, I believe, was one of his other stops. Um, but he had a great NBA career, like I said, 15 seasons. But like he said, in partly, it was this time was up. He was looking forward to being a dad, and so that's what he's going to go do. Uh, he's going to go be a dad. Um, he wanted to get to Brooklyn reportedly at the end of last year. He says to be close to his family. His family is in the Brooklyn area. Uh, I say it was to also win a ring. Conveniently, Brooklyn was a title favorite. Um, but he ultimately was trying to get back to the Northeast to be close to his family. Um, but now he says he's going to go be a full-time dad. So that's what he's going to do. Um, so congratulations, JJ Redick. Hell of a career. Um great career all around great career um i hope you have a great happy retirement keep doing your podcasting thing i hope they get you some nba content one day uh, he knows the game he's kind of funny um i that thing of him and zion when zion was like uh jj told him don't f this up for me with his playoff streak um that ultimately jj ended up folding so he didn't make the playoffs either year in new orleans uh 13 out of 15 years he's in the playoffs so congratulations to jj reddick on a hell of a career and happy retirement all right, and that was the sweet part of this segment. Um, that was the nice and simple part of this segment. And now, whoa, 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 breaking news. Avery Bradley has signed with the Golden State Warriors. Wow. That is a very huge move. Avery Bradley is a known defender. He can guard the one through the three. Uh, he can knock down open jumpers. He's comfortable playing a line superstar. You've seen him with LeBron James. On their title run of proud of him sitting out of the bubble. Um, wow, huge news. Avery Bradley. Uh, they also signed Langston Galloway today to a training camp deal. So they're trying to rebuff that backcourt. Uh, Langston Galloway can play. Kind of got out of the rotation last year because of how well campaign played for the uh, Phoenix Suns. But he can play. You look at Avery Bradley. He can play. So you look at Klay Thompson's coming back. He might not be ready till Christmas. So Steph's going to need some guard help uh, along with Jordan Poole uh, and the other guys they have on the roster in Golden State. So big news is that uh, Avery Bradley, sneaky big news rather, is that Avery Bradley is going to the Golden State Warriors. But somebody else the Warriors have been linked to is a certain uh, 6'10 Australian power forward that plays for the 76ers, uh, Mr. Ben Simmons. He is out. He, him and Rich Paul have made it clear to the Philadelphia organization that he will miss starting training camp, that he is fully aware of the penalties and fines that the Sixers can levy against him, and that he has no intention of ever playing for the Philadelphia 76ers ever again. Doc Rivers has gone on first take and tried to clean up that whole statement he made right after the series playoff, that playoff run ended, where he said he didn't know if he could win with Ben Simmons at point guard. Yeah, try to say that was misconstrued. Don't know how, buddy. Um, Doc's going on first take, tried to clean that up. Then he kind of played a little hardball, where he said Ben's got four years left. So we're in control of this thing. And that's the interesting piece. Ben Simmons isn't asking out with one year left. Ben Simmons isn't asking out help with even two years left. Um, Ben Simmons is asking out right now. And so with that being said, it's a very interesting position to be in. Um, if you are Ben Simmons, because now Rich Paul is Rich Paul. Ultimately, Ben Simmons will get out. Um, if a superstar wants out in the NBA, you get them out or they get themselves out. He's, he's going to be away from the 76ers and I don't see him playing for the 76ers ever again. But 
it's an interesting position because in the same breath that Doc Rivers was trying to be nice guy and clean up what he said, he hardballed then right after. So yeah, I don't know what the consensus is in the organization. Uh, reportedly, they're split on doing a deal for him or not. But my thing is, if Ben Simmons is serious about never playing again, screw the fines, screw the penalties, I'm not playing again, move him. Because what does Ben Simmons do for you sitting on the bench? Or not even showing up to the arena, actually. Nothing. Not showing up for practice, nothing. It's basically like he's not there. So why? For this disgruntled player, don't you just get two first-round picks on a player for Ben Simmons? It's better than nothing. It, yeah, it's not. It's just not equal value for a guy like Ben Simmons, who is being ranked 28th in the world, which I feel is a hair low. I would want probably three or four firsts and a couple of players for a guy like Ben Simmons. But ultimately, he undercut your leverage. The Golden State Warriors undercut your leverage even more by saying that. Um, they have no interest in Ben Simmons because him and Draymond are the same kind of player, and they don't know how they fit side by side. It was it was a lamb it wasn't a lambasting of Ben Simmons, but it was a pretty hard when the owner says, "Now nah, we're good." That undercuts your market market even more. So now I think the best deal right now for the 76ers to make a trade for Ben Simmons centers around Portland, but not for Dame, for CJ. I think their best bet right now is CJ McCollum, probably Ben Simmons and something so ben simmons and a first ben simmons tyrese maxi ben simmons and matisse Thibel, ben simmons and something for cj mccollum robert covington and two first round picks that is i think the best scenario for both sides because portland has a problem damian little and cj mccollum does not work in the playoffs it just doesn't it doesn't work they, they're pretty much the same kind of player and people point to Golden State. Oh, they had Steph and Clay. Clay's 6'7. Steph is 6'3 and the greatest shooter to ever live. Clay's 6'7. And before his injuries, was one of the top five or six two way players and the second best shooter to ever live. CJ McCollum and Dame Little are both 6'3, 6'2. Neither one of them guard anybody. And Dame has the range, but Clay, CJ's nobody's knockdown three point shooter. He's more of just a scorer. He can put the ball in the hole from the mid, can't shoot the three, can get to the rim, etc. So. Those the, that linear comparison doesn't work. The only thing they share is that one of the guards, the point guard, is about 6'3 and shoots from 40 feet away, and they're both guards. So, I mean, that's about it. So, it doesn't work in the playoffs with CJ and Dame. Ben Simmons is a known great defender. He should have won defensive player of the year last year. He's a known great defender. He's a good ball handler. When he's being aggressive, he can score, and he can guard the other team's best player. So, I think Dame doesn't have to worry about anymore. So if I'm Portland, if I'm Philly, I make that deal. If you feel, if Portland believe they need more assets, uh, or Philly believe they need more assets, bring in a third team. Uh, but I definitely that would be the deal I would make is Portland uh, versus um, uh, Portland rather with the Philadelphia 76ers. And like I said, if either team needs more compensation, I feel like they need more compensation. There's always a GM willing to take on a bad contract in exchange for a first round pick to get cap space. Um, it's a very popular thing. So they want to bring in another team, bring in a third team. But I think the perfect spot is Portland with Philly centered around Dame, not Dame Lillard, centered around CJ McCollum rather, and Ben Simmons. A little bit of football news: uh, Josh Gordon has been officially reinstated into the um, NFL and so that is the thing the big news in the NFL or the news in the NFL 
uh, is that Josh Gordon has been officially reinstated. He will be eligible for week four. So teams interested teams in him can work him out, etc., and see what he still has. The NBA, according to Sham Sharanya of The Athletic, has reached a vaccination rate of 90% uh, throughout the league. And this is piggybacking off of um, Rob Palenka, the GM of the Lakers, stating that he expects or he that the entire Lakers roster will be fully vaccinated by opening day, which if this holds true, will be will be one of the first teams, if not the first team, to announce that they will be fully vaccinated. Because according to the NBA, everyone who works with the team but the players has to be fully vaccinated. And so if the players on the Lakers are fully vaccinated, they will have a 100% vaccination rate for the entire organization. Uh, the first team like that to publicly, to my recollection, publicly state so. So kudos to the NBA for reaching a vaccination rate of 90%. I believe the NFL is around 93%. Um... So just like the NFL, the NBA has got much, much softer rules for re-entry for vaccinated players than unvaccinated players. Uh, Vaccinated players in the NFL still can get close contact. In the NBA, they don't even get close contact. So if you are vaccinated and come in contact with a vaccinated person, with an unvaccinated person or a person test positive, you don't even have to go get tested. Um, So that is a small difference. You know, there's a few. The NBA is a little softer, even softer than the NFL on vaccinated uh, players as opposed to unvaccinated players. Speaking of vaccinations, Andrew Wiggins is staunchly against the COVID vaccination. Okay, I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I am totally fine with that. Before I go anywhere in this conversation, I am totally fine with Andrew Wiggins not wanting to get the vaccine. Um, that's his personal decision. This thing has gotten politicized and whatever. Like when everybody, everybody wants to know everyone's business. It's nobody's business for the most part. Um, if he doesn't want to get vaccinated, he doesn't want to get vaccinated. That is my stance, okay? Before we go anywhere, that is my stance. Andrew Wiggins happens to play for the Golden State Warriors, okay? Why is that relevant? That's relevant because in the city of San Francisco, you cannot enter an indoor sporting facility without being fully vaccinated. That's a small problem. Why? Because the Warriors play, obviously, basketball in an indoor facility in San Francisco. So that means for 41 games minimum, Andrew Wiggins could not play for the Golden State Warriors legally. He also cannot play against either New York team because New York City has the same mandate. So Brooklyn, he cannot play against Brooklyn. He cannot play against the Knicks. And I don't think he can play against Toronto because I believe Toronto, City of Toronto, has the same mandate. So that means 44 or 45 out of 82 games, Andrew Wiggins would be ineligible to play for the Golden State Warriors. Trade Andrew Wiggins three days ago. When he fought the vaccination that hard, I would say, okay, your choice, and I'm dumping you. Because I can't have a player who I can't use for over half my season. I'm not saying Andrew Wiggins is a bad person. I'm not saying he's selfish. I'm not saying he, you know, I've seen a few things online calling him this and that. I'm not saying any of that. It's his personal decision whether or not to get vaccinated. My personal decision as a team runner that he has to go because I'm not going to have a player on my roster I can't use half the season, over half the season. Um, so I would move him to a, a, a city where that's not a problem. I mean, apparently it's only three cities in the NBA. It's San Francisco, New York City, and Toronto. So near the other teams, 26 teams other than the four that he can't play on because of the same rule, send him to one of them for a first-round pick and a player or something like that. But he can't play 
for the Warriors over half the season, I would move him immediately if I'm going to state. Maybe it's time to convince him to get the vaccine, but him and his 18 points per game will be out of the door. As Zach Levine, speaking of out of the door, Zach Levine uh, spoke briefly with Brian Windhorst and stated that he liked the Bulls' offseason moves with bringing in Lonzo Ball, bringing in DeMar DeRozan, retaining Nikola Vucevic, uh, getting rid of Lord Marketing, etc., but he said this season will the season success will ultimately decide how he chooses to move forward. Uh, I believe he can become a free agent next offseason. He has not signed a contract. From the way he is talking, it sounds like he won't sign a contract. Um, and so if I'm the Chicago Bulls, I emphasize winning. Uh, I emphasize ensuring that they are the best team possible. Um, that they are working hard to make sure that Levine sticks around in Chicago uh, under the leash of Billy Donovan. Uh, hopefully, I, I mean, I, I want the Bulls to be good. That's the third largest media market in the world or fourth largest media market in the country. I want the Bulls to be good. They, uh, you know, the NBA is not necessarily better when the Bulls are better. The Bulls are only great over an 11 year period. Um, so the Bulls are, I mean, the NBA is fun when the Bulls are good. When Derrick Rose was running around, jumping everywhere and being Derrick Rose, the NBA was great. The NBA had a new story. It was Derrick Rose. You know, of course, Michael Jordan's Bulls. Before that, they were a train wreck. In between that, they were a train wreck. And after, they were a train wreck. But right now, they have a little hope. They've got four former, they got three former All-Stars. Um, you know, they picked up Alex Caruso. They got Alonzo Ball, like I said. They got All-Star DeMar DeRozan, All-Star Nikola Vucevic, All-Star Zach Levine. Um, you know, and they retained Kobe White. They got rid of Lloyd Markkinen. The Bulls look like they're in a good spot to be a top five seed in the East, top six seed in the East, and really make some noise in the playoffs. Um, so I'm interested in that. If Zach Levine does hit the market, a lot of suitors are going to be out there. New Orleans is going to be out there. The weakness in New Orleans right now is they don't really have a two guard. You kind of find with Devontae Gamager one, not ideal, but hey, he's a solid player. You got you got and you're developing Kyra Lewis. Nikhil Alexander Walker's not a point. Maybe he could play your two, but that's not perfect. You got Zion Williamson at your four, BI at your five, and Valentine at your BI at your three, Valentine at your five. If you had a Zach Levine, you're looking at one of the most high teams in the NBA. You sport a big three of Zion, BI, and um and Zach Levine. That'd be huge. You know, Washington would come calling. Okay, Bill needs a running mate. Him and Zach Levine, that would be crazy. You look at a situation of, I mean, I don't think he's going to go back to Minnesota. So, Minnesota's out because I would say Minnesota would be great. Um, you could take a look at a few other teams. Memphis, John Moran, Zach Levine. You know, so there's a few uh, spaces where, a few places where he could go immediately. Phoenix, Devin Booker, Zach Levine. You know, there's a few places where he can go and immediately have a big impact. Milwaukee even. Um, New York and have a, a big impact uh, on the floor. So, I'd be interested to see what he does there. Um, speaking of the Timberwolves, mentioned them a couple minutes ago. They have dismissed their president, uh, Gerson Rosas, for multitude of reasons. Uh, namely, that he was having a consensual affair with one of the employees. The reason why it's called an affair is because Rosas is married. Um, it, he was having a consensual affair with one of the employees. Um, relationships in the building had deteriorated. And the owner, current owner, Glenn Taylor, thought it was time for him to move on. Uh, again, this is a really weird um, time, a really weird environment, because the Timberwolves are sold to um, Alice Rodriguez and Mark Lore, uh, but ultimately the deal hasn't been 
it's not official yet. Power still lies in Clan Taylor's hands. So it is a very weird situation. Um, I wonder how much control day to day or input input rather day to day Mark Lord A Rod have because it is their franchise going forward in a couple of years. Um, but he decided to let Roses go. They have an interim right now. Nowhere the interim has any real chance of the job or if he was just being nice. Um, but you know they had to let Roses go. It's a very interesting environment in um, in Minnesota. Carl Anthony Towns tweeted out uh, WTF exclamation point um, showing over the timing of the fire. It's just weird what's going on right now in Minnesota, but it always weird going on in Minnesota. And I believe Carl Anthony Towns is about to add his name to the recent list of big men who left Minnesota for Grand Passions. Kevin Garnett. Went right into Kevin Love, who's going right into Carl Anthony Towns. The first two left, went and, went and won a ring. I'm sure Carl Anthony Towns has saw that and he's seen other players moving and winning. And I believe he's going to add his name to the list of ex Timberwolves great big men um, sooner rather than later. But up next, we're going to talk about the WNBA and what's going down with their playoffs. Welcome back into the show, and now we're going to talk about the WNBA in their playoffs. So we've kept an eye on the WNBA all season. I've updated you guys every couple of weeks on where they stand in terms of um, what's happening in the league. So it's standings, big news, etc., stuff like that. Now we're in the playoffs. So last night we had our first round. The WNBA is a little bit differently than the NBA. For instance, because only a 12-team league, eight teams made the playoffs, as opposed to the w- as opposed to the NBA. 30-team league, 16-team made the playoffs. So they're half the playoff team. They have eight. Um, and their first two rounds are single elimination. So it's not 1v8, 2v7, 3v6, 4v5. No. 1 and 2 get double buys. So they're all the way into the semifinals where we even start, right? That's uh, 1 and 2. 3 and 4 get single buys. So they do not play in the first round. So what happened last night was we had the number 5 seed, uh, Phoenix Mercury versus the number eight seed New York Liberty, preceded by the number six seed Chicago Sky versus the number seven seed Dallas Wings. The first two rounds, this last night's round and Sunday's round, are single elimination, one game. The semifinals and the WNBA finals are five game series, so it's a little bit differently. I'm not a fan of the one game. Uh, I prefer to be at least three. Um, Maybe, maybe that first, if you're going to do the double buy system, maybe that first round, that first, like last night's round, the first round is one game. Okay, whatever. That second round should be at least three. The teams are a little better. The talent gap's a little closer. Bad shooting night, you're out the playoffs. You know, I feel like that should be at least three. And then five and five. I'm cool with the five and fives. I just would rather that second round um, be three um, in, instead of that second round um, being one. That's my only difference with the NBA. It's my only gripe with their playoff system. But last night, we had the first round. Uh, We're going to start with that Sky and Wings game. Good game. Did not start off that way. The Sky really ran the Wings, uh, got out on the break. Um, Candace Parker um, really led them. Um, She had three assists away from triple-double, including 15 rebounds on a night where her commercial 
constantly play on Adidas for her Adidas commercial, constantly played, uh, honoring her past uh, as ace uh, in the Chicago area, as is great as the great high school player she was, the great college player she was, the top 10 all-time WNBA player she is. Um, absolutely amazing uh, kind of performance from her. And it wasn't just her, though. Um, she played alongside of... Courtney Vandersloot, Allie Quigley, um, Kalia Copper, I think it's her name. And if I'm wrong, I apologize. Um, but they had a lot of energy, really ran that Wings team. But the Wings had an advantage. The Wings didn't know what they didn't know. Down 20 points in a single elimination playoff game at halftime. Probably you fight for the first six minutes. When it doesn't go well, you pack it in and you say, on the next season. The Wings didn't know what they didn't know. They came out aggressive in the second half, going for broke. Never took the lead, but they got it really. They got it down to five at a certain point. Um, had me no nervous as a person who was cheering for the sky there because of Candace Parker. Um, had me real nervous there, but the sky held on. Uh, big performances on the other side by the Dallas Wings. Congratulations to them on a hell of a season and a season that no one thought they'd make the playoffs. I didn't. I figured they'd be. I figured they'd be next year. They would get in uh, with Charlie Collier, Enrique uh, Gumbawale. Um, and the rest of that crew, I figured it'd be next year they would get in. So kudos to them for being a year ahead of schedule, in my opinion. And um, congratulations to the Sky on advancing to the next round. And then the nightcap was the better game, the Mercury versus the Liberty. That game at no point, I don't think either team had a double-digit lead. It comes down to the clutch performances and clutch buckets. Uh, Skylar Diggins, Brittany Griner, Sabrina Nescu, all on the floor. You had an absolute, see, that's, that's the kind of game I wish it was three of those, you know. So I feel like if they played nine times, one win five, one win four, you know. And it was an absolutely amazing game. They went back and forth. It took clutch buckets in the end. Um, it was insane, you know. The Stars came out to play. Brendan Griner had a slow first half, but then she um, had a great second half. Uh, absolutely spectacular game. It was Huge, uh, like I said, clutch performances from Skylar Diggins Smith and uh, Sophie Cunningham for the Phoenix Mercury. It was an absolute battle, um, all the way down the stretch. Congratulations to the New York Liberty, another one of those teams, really, really, really young, but ahead of schedule. Sabrina Ionescu took another step. You brought in a uh, Didi. Um, uh, it was just you did a lot if you're the New York Liberty, you're right there. I think you need a couple more veterans and hit on, hit on another first round draft pick. But in terms of, you know, talent, they are right there with anybody in the league or they can be in a very short order. So kudos to the Liberty on a great season. And then Mercury will advance even without Diana Taurasi last night, who had the game time decision end up being a late scratch. But what that sets up is the three seed Minnesota Lynx, who had the bye, did not play Friday, versus Chicago Sky in Minnesota. And then the 4C Seattle Storm gets the Phoenix Mercury. So we've talked about Phoenix. I think it'll be two great games. Two very, very, very close contests. Uh, I would actually pick the Sky, carrying a little momentum over the Lynx. Now the Lynx is, have a great squad, have a lot of talented players over there, including Sylvia Files, another top 10 WNBA player of all time. But I'm going to go with the Chicago Sky. They seem to have figured out their rhythm. They seem to figure out what they're trying to do and when they're trying to do it. And so I'm going to go with the Sky to advance to play the Connecticut Sun with the with the MVP, John Quill Jones, and the number one seed. 
And then Seattle versus Phoenix, I think it depends on Brianna Stewart's health. Um, you know, Seattle has a great team outside of Stewie, led by Sue Bird and Jewel Lloyd. But Stewie is their backbone. So if Stewie cannot play, I'm going to go with Phoenix. But that's even saying Diana Taurasi is going to play. She was a late game time scratch last night. So maybe tonight, uh, or maybe on Sunday night, rather, she gives or Sunday, she gives it a go. Uh, these games start Sunday, uh, 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock Eastern on ABC. I, if Stewie goes, no DT, I'm going to go with Seattle. Diana Taurasi goes, no Stewie. I'm going to go with Phoenix. Both of them play and both of them are effective, like themselves. I'm going to lean Seattle. And they'd go play Vegas uh, with Asia Wilson and the rest of that crew sitting and waiting on their opponent. Um, so my prediction, the next time we meet, we'll be talking about Chicago versus Connecticut and Vegas versus Seattle. It depends on health. I'm going to go with they both play. And I'm going to go with Seattle by a point or two. Um, and so Vegas versus Seattle and Chicago versus Connecticut would be my semifinal predictions. Also in the WNBA, which I love, no conference in the playoffs. So if it's six Eastern teams, it's six Eastern teams, you know. If it's um, four and four and four and four, you know, we got um, East versus West in um, the first round. And we're getting East versus West again. In the uh, second round. So I, I enjoy it. Let them cross the country. There's no big deal with private travel and stuff like that. Um, so I would. I love it. I hope the NBA adopt that. Where they don't even worry about the conferences. They just play everybody. And then whoever top 16 records. Go play in the playoffs. Uh, that would be pretty cool. But that's another thing I love about the WNBA. But like I said. I would have Connecticut versus Chicago. And then uh, Phoenix. Or Seattle rather. Versus Vegas. In the semifinals. But up next, we're going to have our best for last, which is going to be a talk about what happened 20 years ago yesterday, the arrival of Tom Brady. So 20 years and two days ago. Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. was a six-round draft pick. He was on the roster, pick 199, by the New England Patriots, led by Bill Belichick and Drew Bledsoe, the first quarterback ever to sign a $100 million contract. I believe it was 10 years, $100 million. They were trying to figure out a way to get the Patriots back in the playoffs. I believe this was year three of the Belichick era. They had not made the playoffs up until that point. They were trying to figure out a way to get them in, and they're playing the New York Jets. Somewhere in the game, Drew Bledsoe gets absolutely crushed to the point where he's knocked out of the game, to the point where he had to be hospitalized, suffering internal bleeding. I mean, absolutely crushed. It's one of the biggest hits in NFL history. Um, it's right up there with Daryl Stingley, uh, which left him paralyzed. It's right up there with Joe Theismann which, as we know, left him with a broken leg. Um, it's right up there with the um, some other major all-time hits. Drew Bledsoe's hit against the Jets ranks up there with them. Um, absolutely crushed. And so this unassuming six-round quarterback from, um, from Michigan, Thomas Brady, enters the game. And the rest, as we know, is history. Um... 
nearly 80,000 yards, most all-time passing touchdowns, seven championship rings, six for the Patriots, uh, three or four MVPs, at one point held the single-season passing touchdown record and yards, um, most completions ever, uh, most attempts ever, most games played ever, most wins ever. Uh, if it's a most and it's a positive, he probably has it outside of passing yards. He will get um, in about eight days, eight, nine days. Um, absolutely incredible career. Obviously, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lord Tom Brady, but it's just it's interesting. It's, it's where we look at quarterbacks now. We look at quarterbacks then. And I spoke about it a little earlier in terms of when someone gets a break. Justin Fields now has a break because Andy Dalton got hurt. Dak Prescott only starts at, for the Cowboys because Tony Romo got hurt. Tom Brady only ever gets on the field for the Patriots because Drew Bledsoe gets hurt. Now there's reports where people have said, oh, Bledsoe is going to move on from Bledsoe anyway. He was going to take a look at, as he called him, Thomas Brady, at, you know, because he, he wanted to look at him. Bledsoe wasn't getting the job done. He was over Bledsoe. He was possibly going to take a look at Brady in the near, not so distant future after that anyway. But the injury to Bledsoe sped the process up. And Brady ultimately became the greatest football player to ever live. Um, the story is insane. Uh, like I said, I'm glad Bledsoe lives a normal life now. He got absolutely crushed. But 20 years ago to the day yesterday, um, Tom Brady started or got in his first game. Um, today, or actually next Thursday, rather, would be the anniversary of his first start. Um, and he never relinquished a starting position outside of injury in New England for the next 19 seasons. Um, so, insanity. Uh, for Tom Brady and the New England Patriots franchise, uh, especially how the Patriots were before. Uh, two Super Bowl appearances, both losses, but no real landmark in the NFL. Now they're one of the five biggest brands in football. I believe they're actually the second most valuable team now uh, in the NFL. So kudos to um, Tom Brady. Kudos. The Jets made one big play on New England and ruined their franchise for the next 20 years because they couldn't take them off the division podium. Um so very jet like of course they end their own success um insanity so congratulations to uh tom brady on a hell of a career and still going he got the, he's got the rams on sunday um the patriots are the second most valuable brand in the world drew blesser lives a great life everybody worked out in the end belichick considered the greatest coach ever um so yeah, i guess it all worked out but 20 years ago yesterday the arrival of tom brady insane uh, imagine if bledsoe doesn't get hurt on that play how different the world will look um so congrats it's just huge congratulations to everybody involved everybody worked out in the end everybody has a great life bledsoe sells some wine now i hear it's great might have to order a bottle um i hear it's amazing actually uh but yeah so just kudos to everyone involved uh like i said glad bledsoe ended up being okay we got tom brady uh we got bill Belichick keeping his job in new england that was fishy and um everything worked out but that is all we have for today. Absolutely packed show. Absolutely loaded show. Um, I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. Big college games this week as well. Uh, you've got LSU, Mississippi State. Um, you have a couple of conference plays really starting to roll now. So get some big conference games around the country. I'm in Baton Rouge, like I said, I told you guys before. So LSU, Mississippi State is on my mind specifically. Um, huge NFL games this week, WNBA playoffs on Sunday. Um, 
absolutely loaded Sunday with NFL and WNBA playoffs. Um, huge, huge, huge. So you guys have a great weekend. Get your iPads, your Chromebooks, your TVs ready to try and watch as much sports as possible. Um, and you guys have a great rest of your weekend. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.